What is your killer strategy? The one that gives your business the ultimate bulletproof competitive advantage. Welcome to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. Former professional blackjack player and card counter who left Las Vegas and spent his life in that giant casino on Wall Street in the hedge fund and venture capital businesses. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. So many people wonder why can't they get more employee engagement easier? We all know that 70% of people are not engaged, but many of the people who are not engaged say they want to be engaged. But the models, the styles, the processes that we're using now, they're just not working. How do we fix this problem and modernize our communication? To answer those questions, Jeff Deckman. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joel. Pleasure to be hey, so here. So those are that's a mouthful of stuff. I mean, it's uh, you know, I, I I sort of think that a lot of the problems that we're having uh with employee engagement are derivative of just a lot of the problems we're having in general, just the way that people interact in our society. So what do you think is the problem? Well, I think the problem at its core is uh and i'll i'll go like kind of right up into the clouds and then we'll bring it down to be really practical uh the problem is the level of consciousness we're using when we look to communicate with one another you know there's a lot of dissension in the world right now there's the left versus the right there's the straight versus the gay there's the black versus the white and the brown and etc and there's a there's a lot of uh, organizations and entities that are really stoking the fires of separation. So we see each other as competitors or worst case, maybe even enemies instead of seeing each other as what we are, which are truly collaborators and members of a tribe. And, uh, so one of the one of the challenges we have is how do we break down the barriers of communication so that we can see the human in the human and interact with one another in a way that creates uh, an environment where people feel free to be able to uh, engage one another, work with one another, and also to disagree with one another. You know, there's it's it's almost become illegal to disagree with someone. Uh, you know, you get canceled, you get this, you get that. And that's unfortunately, that's just really destructive. So we need to break through that. Well, you know, it's it's one thing to disagree uh, with a friend. It's one thing to disagree publicly. And, you know, those things do happen. But what about when you disagree with your boss? I mean, there are there are potentially ramifications to disagreeing with your boss uh, if the boss isn't open to your opinion. Well, yeah, and and that's where the problem begins. If your boss isn't open to your opinion, you know, the, the, a lot of the work that I do, I, I talk about conscious leadership, and I work with senior executives and high level middle executives to help them to uh, to develop a mindset that allows them to be much more open. You know, uh, the the leadership model of today is not command and control top down. That's a dinosaur model. That's that's an industrial age model, and we're po we're post industrial age by at least 20, 30 years. The new model today is one where leaders are communicators, collaborators, and facilitators of thinking and action. So it's not so much do what I tell you to do. You know, as leaders, we need to engage our people and build trust, trusting relationships, so that uh, it's not about just following my directions. It's following my direction. And the direction is we are a group who's looking to 
perform at a high level of competency. We act with authenticity, integrity, and we respect one another. And that's the culture that we create. And within that framework, disagreements are going to happen. And disagreements are simply uh, an opportunity for somebody to learn something. Disagreements are not liabilities. They're assets in a knowledge economy like we're in now. So, you know, when I'm working with clients and, uh, you know, when I when I've had my companies that I've built before, I wanted that feedback loop. I wanted people to push back because when they did, they either took us through a process where I was able to show them why my thinking was more correct or they will they were able to show me where my thinking may have been off. And we need to function as a tribe, as a collaborative tribe, and tap into the collective genius of everybody in that company. So if if you're a leader and you can't handle pushback, frankly, you shouldn't be in leadership. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I like everything you're saying. I, I agree with everything that you're saying. But so many companies are so far away from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not even close to what you're describing. I mean, you're describing almost a utopian kind of uh, work environment. I mean, I'm in a really nice environment where people uh, cooperate, they talk, they're friends, they uh, they, they disagree, they argue, they debate, uh, they come up with a resolution. I mean, all great ideas. How does a company get onto the path of changing their culture to be more like that? Well, the, the first thing that I tell people is, look, there are no magic wands. And this is not woo-woo. This isn't about let's go hug everybody. This is about moving the needle. This is about improving employee engagement, making it safer for more of those conversations to happen. You know, in every organization, you probably have Gallup says there's 16% of the people that are actively working against the organization. That's probably going to continue. But what we're looking to do is we're we're looking to create the environment where we start to move the needle. And that has to come from a leadership standpoint. We have to go in and own some of the mistakes that we've made. We have to be able to set the expectation for the workforce to say, look, we need to communicate better. Because at the bottom line, there's a really good article uh, on my website. If you go to www.jeffreydeckman.com. Go into the white paper, or the resources section. There's a white paper in there that gives a formula on how employee engagement increases profitability at the at the end of the day, and it's staggering because if you increase employee engagement, you increase production and performance. If you increase production and performance, you increase profits. That's just how it happens. You and, and the better you do work along that food chain, the more profitability you're going to have. And that profitability comes up not only from performance and uh, an increase in production, but you have less churn. You have more knowledge sharing within the uh, within the organization. So learning curves amongst people, peers, uh, mentors, trainees are expedited. And we're in a knowledge economy. And the biggest resource we have in the organization is not financial capital at all. It's human capital because your human capital makes the financial capital. And yes, you know, you you need to have your line of credits. You need to have your finances, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if you start out with a small company and the people don't get along, they're not going to work together. They don't work together. You're not going to get the production. You're not going to make the money. If you reverse that, the opposite starts to happen. But it's incrementally. And uh, and it's it's tough in the beginning to shift it. 
changing a culture is like turning the Queen Mary. It's really hard to turn it. But once you get it turned in the right direction, it has a tendency to, to stay in that direction because the people like it and they become stewards of it. So let's say that a company wants to uh, go in a new direction. Who are the first people that they have to get to buy in or, or get trained in the new system or, or learn whatever they need to learn? Yeah, you know, uh, it, it really there has to be a level of commitment right from the top. Now, a lot of times I go into companies and, you know, I'm a boomer. I'm 66 years old. So I, I grew up in the old, the old way. And I can go in and I can talk with a CEO my age or maybe a little bit older. And, and they say, look, I'm probably not, I'm too old of a dog to change my tricks that much. But I really want this in my next generation of, of leadership. It's what I want my legacy to be. So uh, I have to have that level of support. And, which means that they have to be open to some of the changes. Then the the C-suite people and that next level, they're the ones that you really have to get them thinking differently and seeing the value of doing what it is that the changes they need to make and see how it comes back to help them. Without intrinsic motivation, no, change is not going to happen. And then once you get that leadership team saying, okay, this is, this is where we want to go, there's a really important and hidden asset in every organization. It doesn't show up on the org chart, but they're very influential. I call them tribal leaders. And they are people within each department or group that are highly respected by the people that are in there. And as a result, they're very influential. So I really support identifying who those people are. They may not show up on the org chart. A lot of them do, but you know, there's a lot of managers who are in position of authority, but don't have the following of the people. So they're not that tribal leader. So what you want to do is you want to identify those folks, pull your frontline managers in, identify who those tribal leaders are and start to engage them and let them see that you're serious. Because if you're serious, they'll start to become serious. But chances are they've seen a bunch of change management exercises that haven't worked. So it might be a tough sell, but you've got to start somewhere. You know, what about like these um, these leaders? I think some of the people that uh, they kind of push their, throw their weight around. They kind of push people around. Yeah. I, I think partly it comes out of insecurity that they're they're not confident in their own ability to rationally get people to buy into things. So they they create dictates and they they just say things mm -hmm. and they blurt things out. So how do you deal with people that are maybe a little bit insecure that uh, that are afraid to relax, afraid to be a little bit looser because they don't know how to get their way in a in a rational way. Yeah, you know, uh, I talk about in my book, which is uh, called Developing the Conscious Leadership Mindset for the 21st Century. You can find it on Amazon. Just, just look up my name. I, I talk about the importance of two things. One, seeing the human in the human. And the other is, if you don't love people, you shouldn't try to lead people. Now, I don't mean hug people, love people, but like really respect and root for them. So when I see a leader like that, the first thing I do is I think, I don't know how that individual was raised. They may have been raised by people who were very much like that. So they've created some models that that's the only way they can, they can get things done. And they also are absolutely insecure. So... One of the things that I've seen is the more arrogant and pushy and domineering someone is, is a reflection of how insecure they are. But that's, that's a very volatile situation. You don't walk in with somebody like that who's highly ego driven and just start to, you know, try to work magic on them. So you have to really start helping them to see how that doesn't work for them. 
what they're doing is not giving them the results that they want. In fact, probably the more they do what they do, they get less and less results. They get less cooperation from the people. They get less performance. So once they can see how it affects them personally, only then do they get in a position where they could be willing to change their behavior. You can't, you can't give them pie in the sky reasons to do things. You have to make it real for them. And, uh, you know, some people get it and they start moving along relatively quick, quickly measured in months and, you know, years certainly, but certainly measured in months. Other people, they could just take baby steps. That's as far as they're going to go. And some people aren't going to shift. And then that's when it's up to the, you know, that's up to my clients to decide whether or not to keep that person in that leadership position. Because a bad leader is one of the most uh, detriment, has the most detrimental impact on productivity of just about anything else in the organization. You know, one of the things that you said right up front was that command and control is gone. And then there's these three new things that have taken their place. Mm-hmm. Let's take a look at those three things. What are the three things? And let's kind of dive in a little bit on them. Sure. Communication, collaboration, and facilitation. Uh, I think, you know, and I've, I've been in leadership, oh my gosh, 45 years. Uh, I've been a leadership development consultant for the last 17, built my own companies. And uh, one of the things that I've found is Communication is the lubrication that keeps the gears of the organization moving forward. What's happening, what isn't happening, most projects that break down uh, are a result of a breakdown in communication. And that communication could be improper communication pathways created, personalities that don't mix, et cetera. So a leader has to excel at communication. Now, there's a trick with that because the thing that comes before communication is trust and relationships. So you got to go in and, you know, you have to act with, you have to lead with AIR, I call it, leading with AIR, A-I-R. And that's an acronym for authenticity, integrity, and respect. I have to be a leader who's authentic. I have to have integrity and I have to respect my boundaries, your boundaries, and who's paying us, right? So if if I can work within that, that will help create an environment where you'll start to communicate with me and I communicate with you. Uh, I need to initiate that communication to show I'm serious and be consistent. And then once you have that communication going, now you've set the stage for collaboration to occur. And collaboration is when you look at people around the table and you respect them for what it is that they could contribute to the to, to the topic. If they can't contribute, don't have them in the meeting, right? Uh and they could be, I mean, I've, I was in a, I was running a production meeting where a factory was having a horrible, uh, customer returns. They couldn't figure it out. The engineering production guys couldn't figure it out. I called a meeting together and one of the people I had in there was a warehouse guy worked on the dock and everybody's like, why the heck do you have this guy in here? Well, as we're, I said, I don't know. I just had a feeling he might. So just, you know, bear with me. But anyway, when it, going through the process, the guy sitting there, he didn't say anything until the end. Kind of had a bad attitude, ponytail, rode his Harley to work, you know, even in the winter, he's one of those guys. And he said, I'll tell you guys where that problem is. And he identified a spot on the line, uh, on the manufacturing line. And everybody started talking about it. And sure enough, it was there. And I looked at him, I said, how did you know that? And he said, well, you know, six months ago, that machine operator uh, was out on medical leave and they asked me to run the machine. I ran the machine. I saw that thing. I told them they didn't do anything about it. So if they don't care, I don't care. And it's right. 
So it showed me that people, you know, look, first of all, people are really smart, whether they're highly educated in, in an academic arena or not, doesn't really mean anything. They're smart is smart. So you want to, you want to tap into that. You want that collaboration. And then you want to be a facilitator of action. You want to give credit where you can. Credit's a great asset. You want to empower people. And you want to be the facilitator of action getting done. And frankly, when you start looking at that, that's one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself as a leader because it takes the unbelievable amount of pressure and stress that you're under to make everything happen through you and distributes it throughout an organization and a group of people that would like to be more empowered and have more responsibility. You know, Gallup talks about 70% of the people not engaged in work. And that's been like that for decades. You know, imagine a, a baseball manager that could only get six of his players out on the field. It wouldn't last very long, yeah. but that's the way it's been for so long. But then when they interview people, uh, 70% of the workforce wants to be engaged. So, so the problem is not a people problem. Management looks at the people and says they're not working hard enough. Let's give them more metrics. Let's give them more pressure and we'll, we'll whip them harder. Well, wh what's that going to do with the workforce? They're not going to like you. They're not going to want to respond to that. And, and so there's this dangerous game that's going back and forth. So what we have to do is we have to create the environment where we are looking to be facilitators. We want to empower them. We want, we want to, you know, organizations are not departments. They're not silos. They're not divisions. They're tribes. So how do, yeah. how do you balance uh, taking all this input from all these different people and not turning it into a committee? Because oh, one yeah. of the things that committees do wrong is that they'll take a problem and they'll end up inventing a six horned <laughs> six headed monster. You know, it's something, you know, they'll just come up with some crazy thing. Cause it's a series of compromises that go uh, crazy. So how, how does, how does eventually does somebody say, okay, I'm going to take all this input and I'm going to make a decision or how eventually oh, does that process absolutely. happen? You know, they, the, the role of the leader is at some point in time to lead. It's just at, at what point do you lead? You know, at what point do you say, okay, everybody follow me, we're going to do this. And, and at what point do you engage people in conversation? Then you make decisions and move. You know, a committee is part of a bureaucracy. A collaboration is entrepreneurialistic. So if you get all these talking heads and they're, they're getting, you know, bogged down in too many voices, you know, first of all, you want to limit the size of the, the group you have. You don't want to have 50 people trying to do something, but you bring the right people in the room. You, you establish right conversations. And absolutely the leader at some point has to say, thank you for your input. I got it. Uh, and this is the direction we're going to go. And when people have an experience where they've been heard, and they see the direction they're going in, even if they don't really agree with it, they have a tendency to understand why they're going that way. And then as a leader, when I when I decide the direction we're going in, I may not be 100% convinced that's the right way, but it's the best way for now. Then as I'm moving, I'm always looking at data points. Did we go in the right direction or do we need to shift? And sometimes the direction we start to go in, we realize, you know, three weeks down the road, this isn't working. The other direction we didn't pick is the one that did. And then we pivot. And that really builds uh, strength in a team. And, you know, it's, it's like uh, special forces guys, you know, and the Navy SEALs. 
when they look to go on a mission, there's a, you know, they have their mission or out there, they're, they're doing it. And then when they decide to act, there's a lot of input from that squad leader going, they're like, what are we going to do? And they have some pretty firm arguments. Uh, but then at the end of the, at the end of it, the leader says, this is what we're doing. And everybody jumps in and supports it hundred percent. And if they need to shift, they shift. So yeah. it's all about maximizing the collective genius, not, not garnering and enforcing authority. Okay. Facilitation I, I like gets things going. Let, let's cool. talk about the, another aspect of this, you know, uh, bringing different opinions to the table. You know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, diversity in our society, uh, which tends to be a racial kind of makeup, but there's a lot of different kinds of diversity, uh, you know, and, and in this case, uh, you, you brought in somebody that worked on the factory floor to sit with executives and maybe there are, you got to bring in different people with different perspectives. Talk about that for a minute. You know, I was a member of a think tank. I was a partner in a think tank from 2007 to 2009. And uh, one of the things that we did was there were four of us and we worked with trying to understand how best to position. At the time, I was in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, Providence and Rhode Island for the new age that we were in. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the mistakes that my partners made, and I used to push against them, but they didn't like it, was they had diversity of race. They had diversity of gender, but they didn't have diversity of thinking. And what I learned through that is diversity of thinking is the most important thing to have and the most difficult thing to facilitate. Because, you know, I, I may not like what it is that you're saying, but I got to create the conditions for you to be heard because there may be something within your idea that actually makes my idea better. And as I'm hearing your ideas, I may look and see, oh, here are some weaknesses in my idea. And, but here's the best idea. And I used to talk about, look, the, what we're here to do is not to see what side wins, but what's the best idea. It's got to be about best idea wins. And we got to put our egos aside because if we're, if we really are devoted to accomplishing whatever the goal is, improve a neighborhood, lessen violence, whatever, we need the collective genius coming in from as many aspects as possible to really get the best thinking. And then once we get the best thinking, we have to figure out how much of that can we actually implement? So diversity of thinking, and as a facilitator, as a leader, you have uh, really an obligation to create the space to where you can have those conversations going in and you can monitor them and you can make sure that they don't you know, go into yelling and screaming matches, but tension is good. Disagreements and, and uh, diversity of thought that causes conflict in organizations is healthy because it means somebody's learning something and something's happening. But you have to make sure it doesn't turn into a street fight. And that's the power of leadership. So the consciousness that the leader has to have is best idea wins, respect everyone, and then be the referee within the match where this stuff is going. And it's so, really so let's, hard. Let's, uh, I struggle with it all the time. Let's shift gears uh, one more time. Uh, you know, the, the the this show is about competitive advantage. How to get, oh. uh, you know, how to get the best competitive advantage one can. How to use advantage play, which is really the ultimate competitive advantage at using uh, predictive capabilities, looking at trends, looking at uh, a variety of different ways that things are going to be different and better. How does this kind of uh, thinking? promote competitive advantage for a company? 
I'm really glad you answered that question because this is the motivation. This is the only reason anybody would be willing to do the hard work to, to go through the processes that I'm talking about is that is uh, the most powerful resource you have in your organization is a collective genius and energies of the people that are in there. 70% of that is blocked. If you start to increase the amount of access you have to that uh, collective genius, you're going to get more creativity. You're going to get more innovation. You're going to get quicker problem solving. You're going to get quicker problem identification. And what's going to happen is your organization is going to start functioning at a different level, which is going to increase your profitability, decrease your losses, increase your stability. And that your workforce is your competitive advantage. So what happens is, you know, you and I are competitors. We're in the same business. And all of a sudden I see over the next three, six, nine months, you're starting to win more contracts. You're starting to advertise more. You're starting to break away from the pack. And I can't figure out what it is. I, you know, you didn't buy new trucks. You didn't buy a new machine. What the heck did you do? Well, what you're doing is you're taking the most valuable asset you have and you're maximizing that. You're, you're turning your, your organization into a Ma Maserati. And that collective genius and the release of that human capital into your organization is the most powerful competitive advantage you can have. Then the next step is that these things have, have multiple wins to them when you do them right. Hard work, multiple wins. The next thing is people in the industry talk. People that work for you know people who work in competitors. And then you start to become a talent magnet. Your brand is, this is a really solid group to work for. No matter who you talk to in that organization, they're supportive, they help, they're, they're customer oriented. So we like that. And at the same time, they're high performing. And organizations aren't run very well. So once you start to do this and your organization starts running really well, you become a talent magnet. Not only do you do you attract talent that wants to come and work in an environment like that, but you keep the talent that's in there because they're not about to go to work for someone else who does it the old way. By, by embracing these systems and processes, you become the next evolution of, uh, of an organization. And you, you become know, tell you what it sounds like to today's I'll world. Tell you what it sounds like to me. It sounds like when you uh, ask people to share their ideas, and you're you're tapping into that uh, you know collective genius that you're talking about, you get more ideas. And then if you can get people enthusiastic because they have ownership of some of the ideas, then their execution gets better, and that's kind of what makes the wheel spin. So, right. uh, you know, really makes and, a lot of sense. And then they have a sense of ownership plus a sense of stewardship. Ownership, because, hey, this is how, you know, the, the, my idea has at least been in this thing. And, you know, this is my team. So I, I want to protect my team. Uh, I want to promote my team. But also a sense of stewardship, because you've worked in other places. Or even if you haven't, you knew what it used to be like. And we don't want that anymore. So when the group, you know, interesting thing about tribal dynamics, and I've studied them for years, is that healthy tribes want to stay healthy. A tribe is an organism. Organisms just genetically, biologically want to stay healthy. When they're sick, they want to heal. Organizations are organisms. And you get a team in there. And when it's healthy, it wants to stay healthy. So when it feels something going off, it has a tendency to start working and, and trying to self-heal, which takes some of the pressure off of management. 
And the tribe knows what's going on in the tribe better than the tribal than the, the person managing it does because they've got the grapevine. So, you know, uh, in traditional models, <clears throat> I don't even know there's breakdown going on in that tribe until until it starts showing up in my metrics and my production, my attitude, the culture. Uh, with this new model, they, because they're never going to let you fully in it because you're next level of management and you're, you're not in that space, but you create an environment in there where those people will keep their environment healthy and they'll come to you when there's a problem and better yet, they will, they will work it out amongst themselves. You know, they'll go up and go, Hey, Joel, look, man, I don't like the way you're functioning here. You fell down on that, on that project. That's not how we work here. And a lot of that stuff gets worked out on that peer to peer level and peer pressure is the most, one of the most powerful influences on people, both positive peer pressure and negative. You know, it's, uh, it's what's interesting about this, uh, you know, a lot of companies use uh, 401k benefits, stock ownership programs, you know, to try to create ownership and get people to work harder. And those things don't work. No. But what really does work is when somebody is emotionally invested. Yeah. And they feel that they're being uh, invited to contribute. And, and that, to me, uh, those are really advantage plays. And the promise of our show is really to deliver the inside track, the best, the smartest, the fastest ways to get things done. And when uh, when we have a guest that lives up to the promise of the show and uh, really delivers an advantage player, a series of them, and, and you certainly have done that, uh, then we call them advantage players. And uh, that makes you an advantage player in our eyes. So, uh, Jeff, thank you very much for being a guest on the show. I uh, hope you'll stay a friend of the show and that we can uh, reach back to you at some point in the future. Absolutely. And I can just tell your listeners, all this stuff works. Go on my website. I have a ton of free content. Kick the tires. You can start learning pieces about this on your own. You don't have to, you don't have to pay me. I mean, if you want to talk, we can certainly talk. I do coaching, consulting, et cetera, but start turning yourself onto some of this stuff because it works. I, I use it every day. Wonderful. Well, listen, thank you very much for, uh, for being with us and we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks for all. been listening to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. To learn more about how to work with Joel and cultivate your own high-limit advantage plays, visit theadvantageplayer.com. Subscribe to Your Advantage Play wherever you get your podcasts.